Each episode of the Blind Alchemy podcast is designed to be helpful. Expect comedy. Do not expect consistency or sense to be made. I am Podbot. I was inspired by the Lion Goat podcast. Listen to that show. Today's episode continues the interview with philosopher Buck Johnson and the discussion of the third hermetical principle of vibration. From the kitchen, with this rendition of reality as we know it, we are all one, and there is nothing new under the sun that shines down here upon the island of mind, which is somewhere adrift in the sea of frequency that creates all of reality. You see, we are connected through this energy. Now, I would like to thank you for joining us today. <laughs> Uh, and while we're on the subject of vibration, <laughs> that's what we're going to talk about here today on the uh, Blind Alchemist Podcast. Blind Alchemy Podcast. What, what's the name of this show, Ted? Yeah, you forgot too. All right, that's fair. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome back to the Blind Alchemy Podcast. Uh, I am your host, of course, the Blind Alchemist. And uh, today we're going to continue with the uh, seven hermetic principles. Uh, we are currently on number three. The Principle of Vibration. With us again is our very talented, very wonderful, philosophical Buck Johnson. Buck, how you doing? Are, are you here with us, Buck? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm glad you remember my name. I thought I was going to have to explain who I was to Patricia again. She sent me uh, some more of those contracts making me sign over stuff. I didn't even understand what I was supposed to be signing over. I already signed over my first unborn child to you, but uh, uh, we, you know, don't let's want not that. talk about Patricia. She's it's clear that she has some psychological issues. Uh, there's something something going on with her, but uh, her vibrations are a little off. That's all I'll say. Well, I mean, if she wants unborn children, well, what are you doing with children? Unborn children? Well, well, of course, you're not doing anything with unborn children right now. They're not born. We. You want their foreskins for facial cream or something? Look, I don't want to hear some weird shit, Patricia. Kinky. You know, stop hanging out with Ted. That's all I'm saying. Okay, anyway, uh, where were we? Oh, yes, the principle of vibration. Let's give us a look. This is a little excerpt from uh, SpiritScienceCentral.com, a blog on the hermetic principles. Vibration. In short, nothing rests. Everything in existence is in a constant state of motion and vibration. Even things that appear motionless and still, like a rock on the ground, is always moving at a molecular and atomic level and beyond. To quote Walter Russell, whoever the hell that is, 
and the wave lies the secrets of creation. The Kabilian explains that the distinction between the manifestations of matter, energy, mind, and the spirit are just the result of different vibrations. The higher a person or thing is on the scale, the higher the vibration rate. Spiritual alchemy in the Kabilian is described merely as the practical application of this principle. To change one's mental state is to change their vibration. You can sometimes do this through your will's effort by deliberately fixing the attention upon a more desirable state. Ultimately, even thoughts have their vibration rate and can be controlled like tuning an instrument. To produce various results of self and environmental mastery. As your understanding of vibration, frequency, harmony, and resonance gets better, so too shall your power over yourself. Okay, well, let me do you one a little better. Yeah, please, because I, uh, these guys don't even know how to use prepositions. Please give us a better explanation. Well, okay, this is an article from uh, phys.org. Phys.org? I don't know how you would say that. It says that it is known that the human body can generate mechanical vibrations at very low frequencies, so-called infrasonic waves. Infrasonic? Yeah, isn't that interesting? Infrasonic. Uh, I like that word. Such low frequency vibrations are produced by psychological processes, uh, heartbeat, respiration, movements, blood flow in the vessels, and other things your body does, right? Okay, and it goes on here and it says there are three types of infrasonic vibrations. The first type are connected with the heartbeat. The second, uh, the respiratory rhythm. Uh, the third, called trube herring waves. These uh, correspond with emotional tension. So even emotions vibrate. How do you spell that trube? Whatever you said. Uh, well, I'm probably not saying it correctly at all. But uh, T-R-A-U-B-E hyphen H-E-R-I-N-G. Trub herring? Hmm. Interesting. I'm not familiar with that. Right? Yeah, that's... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. You were saying. Was there more to it? This article was published in 2016. Okay. Well, you know, just a few years back. Yeah, yeah. It could be possible to judge the human emotional state via the amplitude frequency response to these waves. That's what I was saying about the emotional waves there. So you can read and quantify emotional states through the measuring of a vibration. Isn't that interesting? Don't you think? Yeah, I think that that's very, very fascinating. You know, we've had many discussions in the past about how there's this electrical energy that everyone puts out around their body. And I, I think that that's very true. You know, the old, the old tales of the effects that you might have on your plants based on your emotional state and how uh, you feel or if you play music around your plants that's pleasant. I don't think so much that the music necessarily, it, it might have something to do with the vibrations of the music or, of the sound waves, but I, I think it might also have to do with the person who's experiencing that music and their emotional reaction, the kind of connection they have with their plants. If they're interacting with those plants, you know, I, I think that that's one example of this type of vibration manifest in the physical. But I think something else that I uh, just recently discovered is that canines can uh, sense the uh, stress of their 
um, masters. You know, they can smell when uh, humans are stressed. You've always heard that uh, fear has a stink to it. Well, apparently stress and I would imagine other emotions also has that sort of smell. But I think there's also that element of the vibration. I think the dogs can pick up on that as well. Obviously, people pick up on this, right? Whenever I'm around people, if they're not happy, I can feel it. Even um, from the far distance that you are today, I can feel there's uh, a, a different vibration coming from you, Blind Alchemist. Oh, well, yes, yes, yes. I, I, I'm uh, slightly agitated today. It's kind of a little frustrating. But, you know, that'll be fun. Every, everything will change. I will mellow out here and momentarily and raise my vibration. Uh, I was also reading something about the uh, you know, like brain waves. You know, I have... Uh, like the alpha, delta, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you have delta, which is experienced during sleep, right? They're the lowest and slowest frequency there. Right. Theta is the next one up that's, that's deeply relaxed and inwardly focused. That's where you're, like, probably meditating or whatever, you know? And isn't it the delta and theta that uh, if people don't get enough of those... Um, they can't release um, the acetylcholine in their brain, and they they tend to go mad if they don't get enough uh, delta and theta waves. I think there's something to that. Could be. I, I, I have not heard that. But Yeah, you've heard about you know, people I, going insane if they don't get enough sleep. Yeah. I think it has something to do with um, the brain being in those delta and theta states. Okay. All right. Also, there is beta, which is... Relaxed and passive attention, okay, is the second highest rate of frequency, which is 12 to 35 hertz here. Anxiety dominant, active, external attention, relaxed, okay? Those are the beta waves? Th those are beta waves. And you said they were 12 to 35? Yeah, 12 to 35 hertz. Oh, so within audible frequency. That's interesting. I didn't realize it would be as high as 35. Hmm. Okay, the highest one is gamma. Gamma is 35 and over, and it's a state of concentration. Now, here, here's something very interesting about gamma. These waves in this frequency move so fast that they appear to be standing still. Hmm, interesting. Like, it, it seems like they're barely moving, but they're rocking and rolling. Yeah, I just learned that today when I was doing a little research for this particular episode, and I thought, well, that's interesting. So when you say... They appear to be standing still. Are we talking about measurements made using some sort of oscilloscope where you can, mm -hmm. you know, it seemed like you can change the, maybe in, with respect to other waves because you can. Right, with, with respect to you like. You can change the frequency setting on your oscilloscope and measure, your, you know, we can measure waves that are. Is that the thing, the plate with the sand on it? Oh no! Or the oscilloscope are those uh, those little boxes that have the little screen on them. That's usually like uh, a blue light, and it has you know it has the little dials, so you can change the frequency range that you're measuring, and you change the height. And oh yes, yeah. you can uh, zoom in on a specific amplitude. They have little sound generators in them usually, and you always see them in old recording studios or many people that do any kind of um, fix amps or that fixed speaker systems and things like that, they always have oscilloscopes in their shops so that they can send a signal through the equipment and test it out and verify that everything's working. What is the plate that you put the sand on and you can change the frequency of that? 
plate, and it'll show the geometric patterns of that wave. Yeah, I don't know if there's a specific name for that. There probably is, um, but I'm not familiar with that specific name. But you can pretty much do that with any speaker. You know, you can put a plate yeah. over the cone and put sand or some sort of pebble or particulate matter on it, and then you can uh, measure those waves. I, I love those videos where they'll take like oil and put it over the top of a speaker cone and you can see the oil kind of dancing around, like they'll put oil in water base or something like mm -hmm. that with food coloring. That always looks super cool to me, I think. That's very neat. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I wish I had one to play with, just just to you know, see what all different shapes it made. You can make one fairly cheaply though. You can uh, just take any kind of like, um, you know, those little plastic cutting boards that they make those thin plastic cutting boards. Right. You could take one of those and you could pour salt or sand or sugar or something like that on it and put it over the top of a speaker and aim the speaker channel up. And then you could play music through it and just watch it. I've seen all kinds of uh, people do it on, you know, make their DIY, that sort of thing on YouTube. Okay, that's cool. I didn't, I didn't think about DIYing my own, but uh, uh, that's interesting. I think it's neat. With respect to the Kabillion, the, the, the principle of vibration has to do with planar states of spirituality, right? More so than just our physical um, experiences based on our limited human senses. Well, yeah, right. The physical and the mental and the spiritual, they all overlap, right? What is it uh, Kabillion said about adjusting your frequency to the, the higher you are in the scale, the, the, the higher you are in, into the spiritual or something. I can't remember exactly what it is. Well, I think uh, higher vibrations represent higher planes of spirituality. Uh, the closer it is to the state of the all or the mentality. So uh, I think the highest state oh, wait, here it would is. be... Uh, from, from the all, which is pure spirit, down to the grossest form of matter, all is in, vibra in vibration. The higher vibration, the higher the position in the scale. Now, uh, side note, uh, I went and got me a little frequency generator and I attempted to match the ringing in my ears that I, I hear a lot. Uh, the tinnitus? <clears throat> yeah, well, yeah. We'll call it tinnitus. Oh, you don't, th you don't think it's tinnitus? What is your theory about what causes it? I actually it, think I mean? that is the uh, frequency at which I'm supposed to resonate. Really? So, yeah, that's, that's my thought on it because I know I have learned over time that the more I pay attention to that instead of trying to ignore it, the better I feel. And once I kind of get to that point where it's like, oh, yes, okay, this is the frequency it goes away. I don't hear it for a while. And then it'll come back and then I'll pay attention to it. Anyway. Well, I wonder uh, if that has something to do with like, uh, you know, just masking. You know, if you play two sounds that are at the same frequency at the same time, they'll cancel each other out. It might. I don't know. Yeah. Do you ever meditate to that frequency when you meditate? Do you ever uh, listen to that frequency? It is extremely high. Okay, right. I, I yeah. started off low trying to find it, right? And I worked my way up to 7,630 hertz.
Now we will take a break for some advertisements. Please support our sponsors. Your product goes here. Anything and everything good to say about your product, we'll say it right here, right now. And now, back to the show. Sit back, relax. Take a deep breath, and when you feel it in your chest, exhale into the now moment. And join me, the Blind Alchemist, as we conduct a little blind alchemy. And I worked my way up to 7,630 hertz. I got, that's about as close as I could physically get to it. Yeah, so that would roughly be somewhere between like uh, and a, somewhere between those two frequencies, I believe. My skin started to crawl. Really, when you were listening to it? My skin started to crawl and my skull started to resonate. It was like, I like, I could not, it freaked me out a little bit because I was like, what the hell's going on? And like, there was like a tingle in in a section of my skull that was separate from the resonation. It was like it was like a crackle, and I was like, "Oh God, I just broke my brain," and I didn't feel right oh, for wow. hours. For hours? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, but the next day, I woke up and felt great. For like three or four days, I felt great. After that, I was like, "Wow." How long were you, did you have the sound on? Was it just instantaneous, your reaction? Like, did it? It was almost instantaneous. Maybe oh. maybe 10 seconds at best. That's very interesting, because I have, I have that tinnitus problem too. And I noticed that mine, mine varies with my blood pressure and my blood sugar, which I find very interesting. Like, if I've been eating a lot of salty foods, uh, mine will seem to kick in more and... Uh, hmm and and be louder uh certainly mine um bothers me more after i've listened to a lot of loud sounds you know i have to be careful with that because uh i'm often around loud sounds and um i just have to monitor that very carefully and um, sometimes it'll kick in and really cause me a lot of uh a lot of issue but then i've never tried what you're suggesting though listening to that frequency to see if i could find it or see if i would have that kind of reaction i wonder if i would i don't know it's worth a shot i feel like i was i just like i was wondered out of curiosity what frequency that sound i was hearing was and and the higher i got the higher i got well that's not it that's not it and it kept getting well, once I hit 7,630 hertz, it was like, whoa. Wow. My skin started crawling, and, like, like I, dude, like, the hairs on my arms, like, would raise up. Like, that's what if you know, and the crackle. The frequencies between 3K and 3,000 and 8,000 are the frequencies that humans are. Specifically, our ear canals are designed to hear those frequencies. And as you get closer mm -hmm. to 8,000, that's closer to the range of frequencies with, that we sense frequencies that are above us, which is very interesting mm -hmm. from an evolutionary standpoint. You know, um, if there are predators in the trees above us, we're very sensitive to that sort of sound. So if you've ever been a camping or walking in the woods or something like that at night and you hear noises up in the trees they're usually very high frequency sound uh, because 
insects and animals that live up in trees, birds and big cats, things like that that might live in trees. They would typically make um, sounds that have those frequencies included in them. And you, if you ever hear something like that when you're walking alone in the dark, it will it will freak you out on a primal level, uh, primitive level. It'll scare you. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it'll interesting. Scare the shit out of you. Yeah. I guess it resonates with the. Uh what they call it the reptilian brain? Well, yeah, exactly. That's, uh, you know, if you think about creatures that have a lot of airborne predators, they're also very sensitive to frequencies in that range, but they also tend to make frequencies that are higher, you know. Um, you get much higher above that. If you double that frequency, that's close to the edge of uh, adult human hearing. Like, we can't even hear sounds twice that frequency. So yeah, that's very interesting. I'd like to try that experiment sometime, see if I can find that frequency and see if I have that kind of resonance. So your experience was it, it made your skin twitch and it made you feel weird and out of place and then, but you still had a, you, you think there was a positive effect the next day? Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. It's like right up in here on the left hemisphere of my brain. It felt like a pop, like a crack. Well, yeah, your your temporal lobes are there. And that's close to where your hippocampus is, and that is where um, hearing and, and memory, you know, your main functions of those. How loud was it? Was this extremely loud? That might have had something to do with it. No, I, I, I kept the volume low intentionally because I knew it was a high-pitched sound, and I uh -huh. didn't want to, like, bust my eardrums. So I, I didn't have it very loud at all. But huh. it, it, it didn't take 10 seconds for it to affect me. I was like, wow, that's weird. Interesting. Yeah, I just downloaded one of those Hertz generators on my phone or whatever. I was like, I'll see if I can match this frequency that I'm hearing. And yeah. I kind of had one earphone on, you know, the other one out, so I could kind of go between the sound and the fake sound, you know. But as soon as I hit that frequency, man, it was like, whoa! That's fascinating. I... I... I'd be interested to try out something like that and see if I have a similar reaction. Back to the idea of this hermetic principle. Everything moves, everything vibrates, nothing is at rest. And um, I think that this sort of applies on the very physical plane to those principles that we see in physics of like the ideas of molecular vibration or particulate vibration, uh, the differences between states of matter, between solid and liquid and gas and things that are vibrating slowly tend to appear to our senses physically as uh, solids and things that vibrate more quickly seem to be more ephemeral. And then as that scale increases beyond just um, uh, the molecular vibration or the the vibrations of the say the uh, the movement of cells in your body which could be considered a type of uh, vibration or the movement of breath in and out of the lungs could be mapped to this type of uh, vibration of of life uh, but I think that there's you know, other types of vibration and all the different forms of energy, x-rays vibrate faster than light waves, for, for example. And I, and I guess from the Kabillion's perspective, uh, this, this moves beyond the, um, the planes of energy and force to the planes of the mental and to the spiritual planes. 
And um, I, I find it interesting that the Cabillion says things like um, an understanding of this principle uh, with the appropriate formulas enables hermetic students to control their own mental vibrations as well as those of others. So is it saying that this is where the realm of extrasensory perception comes into play? Is this a telekinesis sort of thing yes. or a telepathic sort of thing that they're talking about? Yes. Tell, tell me more about that. Uh, I can't. Certain frequencies can affect others and a little bit higher probably. I don't know what the telepathic frequency would be, but you know, it's it's like Wi-Fi and radio waves. They, it's there whether or not you know it, whether or not you can tune into it. But what are they talking about when they say the appropriate formulas? Are these formulas uh, that are created by other hermetic masters that did Hermes Trismegistus not have the formulas to include? Or, or, or are they, why does the Cabillion refer to these other appropriate formulas? Who are these people that have these formulas and where the fuck are they? This, I've been researching this stuff for years and years and years, as you well know, and I've never once come upon these appropriate formulas. I don't know what they're talking about. Do you have any recollection of this? Have you located well, maybe you have. Maybe, maybe you just didn't understand it was, uh, you know, it, it's probably coded. Ah. You know what I mean? Uh, what is it? Uh, Revelation says there will be no one left to be able to read the scrolls because we've kind of forgotten what we used to know as a you know a human race. Ah, so maybe we are, maybe they're written in hieroglyphics or something. Can we now read hieroglyphics? Yeah. No, I mean not really well, you know, and that's the kind of the same concept. The, the knowledge is lost. Like there are are hieroglyphs of guys with nets over their head, right? And this has nothing to do with fishing or anything like this. This net represents the fabric of reality. Uh, it's something called netter, N-E-T-E-R, mm. -E or N-T-R, uh, because for some reason, a lot of really old words had no vowels. Figure that out. Mm. And this has to do with tuning into the the frequency of fabric of reality. I find it fascinating that there's so many birds the bird was one of the primary symbols in Egyptian hieroglyphics. There's tons and tons of birds, variations of birds, birds in different postures. And I find that very fascinating. I, I think it's probably because, well, if you think about it, birds are one of the most seen species when you're out in nature. Like there's tons of birds everywhere you go. There's always tons of birds. There's always been tons of different species of birds. But I think that they probably represent other things like uh, cosmic freedom, you know, the ability to separate the mind from the body, the ability to uh, encapsulate um, these uh, concepts which cannot be held to the ground, which cannot be conceptualized close to the earth within our own senses, you know, in some ways. I could be completely wrong about that. That's just a supposition on my part. But I right. I think that's it's very fascinating that these nets that you're talking about that are in these hieroglyphs could represent this sort of connection with the uh, netting of the stars, netting of the cosmos, catching these uh, waves of frequency. It's also said in the Cabillion that he, the student who understands the principle of vibration, has grasped the scepter of power. All right. This is one of the primary 
principles of Hermeticism that refers to power. Like uh, we we think of things on a higher spiritual plane, or we think of things as becoming closer to the mental. But this is one of the few that it talks about. If you can uh, learn to master this principle, then you can have power. I find that that's very interesting. And, uh, okay. All right. It gives you power over your carnal self, your your lower frequency self or whatever you would like to refer that as it also gives you power over the ability to manifest uh it also gives you power over people if you use it incorrectly or correctly however you want to well is there any judgment from hermes or i mean does he project some sort of uh morality throughout the uh principles or of hermetics is there a morality of good and evil and like the idea of um, what if I do possess you to do my bidding and it's not something that you want? Is there anything wrong with that from the perspective of the Kabbalion, do you feel? I, I I don't know. I haven't I haven't come across anything that would confirm that or deny that. It's I think it's just like is. Alright? Uh it just is. Like is pours in, you know, and you can use it any way you want. And whether it's good or bad, it's kind of like uh, up to you, maybe. I don't know. Uh, there's a right way and a wrong way. And Yeah, so I, you're applying some other uh, system of morality there. I mean, I would agree f from a sort of ethical perspective with you as a human. Like, it would be wrong to force others to do your bidding against their will, even if you are just doing that through some sort of mental process or uh, some some sort of manipulation of their vibration but it would seem to say that you could do it for good things as well mm -hmm. i tried to practice this principle this is a, an example of how i try to practice this principle and you tell me if you feel like this is uh, uh silly i like to go on hikes very often and i go on hikes in the woods and Whenever I come upon a stranger, I try very often to smile and say hello to them because I feel like it's one of the smallest good deeds that you can do. If you project this sort of positive energy towards a stranger, then you can, in some way, manifest that positive energy in them. Now we will take a break for some advertisements. Please support our sponsors. Your product goes here. Anything and everything good to say about your product, we'll say it right here, right now. And now, back to the show. My hope is that they have a better day because of they met someone in the woods. Even if they, and especially if they're like a really grumpy person, I try to give them a bigger smile or, you know, say something polite to them. Now, I don't always do this in my workplace or with strangers in other situations like at the grocery store. But when I'm on a hike, I always try to manifest that. And I, I find living in a city, it's very common that people look at the ground. They won't look at you in your face. They don't want to say hello, you know, but if you go to a more rural area or even sometimes a bigger national park or something like that, you'll find that people are much more responsive or uh, much more interested or more positive when they're interacting with you. And I don't know if that's a statement about what the kind of people that go to those parks or do those types of things or, or what have you, but 
I do find that there seems to be a positive reaction when I give person positive energy. And so I don't know that I think that's a small example of how we can use this sort of principle of vibration to benefit the world around us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can bring others up to where you are if they're susceptible to it. Some, some people just cannot access higher frequencies because they don't have a conscious understanding uh, that will allow them to resonate that high because they don't, I guess they don't understand these things. I mean, hell, I, we're aware of them. Uh, speaking for you and I, we are aware of these things and we don't really know how they function yet because, you know, we're learning. That's the whole point of this endeavor uh, is to learn these things and maybe spread the word, get, build a community and get like-minded individuals in here. Right. We can affect others um, positively and negatively. Uh, the, the objective is most likely just to do it positively because that's really what we want, positive growth, positive outcome, you know, high tide raises all boats kind of situation. That's, that's my thinking anyway. Well, do you think that a positive attitude is a higher frequency? I mean, would that be, um, I don't know. I, I, I think there's probably some studies out there that uh, scientists have done using uh, magnetic resonance or, um, you know, the other forms of, of imagery of the frequency of the brain or are these tests where they study these delta, theta, gamma, beta, alpha waves of the brain and... I wonder if the higher frequencies map to uh, positive emotions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think 500 and above is supposed to be the higher realm frequencies or whatever this love and above or frequency ranges within the uh, what the Chinese call chi, the Japanese call ki, uh, prana, Indian belief. Prana, it? yes. In Christianity, it's called the Holy Spirit, also referred to as... Everybody's favorite, ether. That's my favorite. Yeah, ether's an interesting one because it was a very lauded idea back in the early 19th century. It was the common accepted idea. And, you know, then science backed away from this idea of ether. And uh, now there's some new theories about, uh, I, I think of it along the lines of like the unifying principle or the unifying particle or the explanation of antimatter or anti-energy. Now, I think that's where the realm of physics would describe what these other folks are talking about when they're talking about the ether. But I think that there's still that principle and it's basically a representation of the great unknown thing that... <laughs> encapsulates everything. But I, I think the more you look into it, the more you find that that uh, sort of concept sort of breaks down. But I, I did find a study here uh, called Emotion Classification Based on Brainwave, a survey. It was a study done by uh, Ting Mei Li, Han Xun Chao, Jianming Zhang, excuse me for butchering your names, but it was, was produced. Was that one person? 2019. Those were three different uh, scientists, okay. I guess, who worked on this. And uh, that's a hell of a name. <laughs> well, I guess they're they're probably from um, I don't know another country, but it says uh, 
basically brainwave emotional analysis is the most novel method of emotional analysis at present with the progress of brain science has found that human emotions are produced by the brain as a result many brainwave emotion related applications appear however the analysis of brainwave emotion improves the difficulty of analysis because the complexity of human emotion uh, they go on to describe um these different emotions they say uh Fear, the instinctive behavior of a common creature or person in the face of danger in life. Fear can cause changes in the heart rate, elevate the blood pressure, cause night sweats, tremors, and other physiological phenomenon, and even the symptoms of cardiac arrest and shock. And then they have a, another sort of uh, description of other emotions that they were measuring, anger, joy, surprise, disgust. Uh, and then later in the paper they present some uh formulas that sort of represent how they're taking an analysis of each of these different types of brain waves i've often wondered what role emotion plays is is emotion energy in motion emotion or is it no what 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 do they serve what, what purpose do, does emotion serve i mean from an evolutionary perspective or from uh what perspective just, any perspective like any everyday you know well i think like uh principal emotions like fear obviously has a very reasonable um evolutionary benefit it helps us adapt to situations to avoid predators i think the primary motivation of emotions may have to do with the formation of memories and the classification of things that are dangerous or things that are positive. I think you could probably break it down. I think there are obviously there are much more complex emotions and those emotions have more nuances the more you look into them. You know, there's different degrees of each different emotion, but I think probably the primary survival benefit of emotion is will this thing or this creature kill me? <laughs> or will this thing benefit me? Will this thing make my experience better? And if we have emotions around those things, it'll form stronger memories. So, for example, uh, a mountain lion is dangerous, so I'm very scared of that. I should run the fuck away or that thing will kill me. You know, I think it, that will form a lasting memory. So that's my sort of take on it. I don't know what you think about that. I don't know. Sounds legitimate. I I really don't know. I you know, we seem to be an emotional being, uh, humanity. You know, emotional beings, and and nobody ever really teaches you the purpose of them or how to control them. Which so we stay in this emotional loop, and we allow uh, emotions to you know guide us instead of logic and reason, and so that leads us into the same old traps of say addiction and bad situations bad bad relationships or whatever because we stay in them because we don't well we we love them or whatever you know so we, we don't leave them because we think that's actual love when it's uh most likely not looking at this uh this study a little bit more not to change the subject we're just kind of touch back on what it seems that they're measuring here um they're they're trying to measure the uh, sort of a two-dimensional uh, emotional model based on uh, the heightness of arousal uh, versus the heightness of valence. 
I'm not sure if they define what valence is from the perspective of this paper. Uh, three different test tasks for the scenario, low versus high valence, low versus high arousal, low arousal, low valence, high arousal, low valence. The purpose of the first task is to classify the positive versus negative emotions. And uh, like they're saying, if you have a higher state of arousal and a higher state of valence, that is a more positive emotion. Obviously, valence is the combining power of elements, you know, like the affiliation of, say, hydrogen atoms to carbon atoms or hydrogen atoms to oxygen atoms. But I think they're speaking of it in some degree of the amount of magnetic reaction in their measurements, uh, which might have something to do with the amount of water or some other type of element in the neurocells. Basically, they show that joy has the most arousal and the most valence. Pleasure has the most valence and lowest arousal, which is fascinating. You would think that pleasure would be higher on the arousal scale. And anger has the most arousal, but the least amount of valence. Sadness has the least amount of arousal and the least amount of valence. Gamma waves are 40, 31 to 40 or 41 to 50 hertz, and your, uh, your delta waves are as low as 1 to 3 hertz. So their range is between 1 hertz and 50 hertz. Essentially, they're saying that brain waves are more likely to obtain emotional features and biological messages when they are differentiated. The human mood is more complicated. It's a coordinated response to physiology, behavior, and neurological mechanisms. It's confirmed that basic emotions are human physiological responses. Basic emotions can be divided into six categories, namely happiness, anger, fear, surprise, sadness, disgust. So I think they are seeing that, as I originally suggested, my hypothesis would be that different emotions would show different frequencies or different amounts of these different types of brain waves. Geometric shapes also produce frequencies. A, a specific geometric shape produces a, a specific energetic frequency. Now, in the Louvre, there is a, a machine from the Napoleonic era. Anyway, it's like it's it's like a table. It's got these little strips on it that you can yeah. combine to make the geometric shapes. Now, and, and it will resonate. And it's got a little chamber on it where you can put a fluid, like water or something in. Okay. And it, and it resonates that frequency into the fluid. And I guess you consume it after that. I don't know. If you can charge, like, say, water with a frequency and drink it then you drink that frequency because water has a memory it's a you know a, a genetic wow molecular i think is what you mean yeah that's the word i'm looking for all right uh give me one moment i'm gonna pause, pause, this. pause this for a second i'll be right back pause this okay are we done break. Pause this. okay put the peace dong in here we're definitely going to put the peace dong in here folks we can take a break and pause this we can take a break and pause this we can take a break and pause this okay okay put the peace dong in here
Okay, no, sorry. And we're back. All right, there we go. Yep. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, you were talking about the the fact that water has a molecular memory and that if you play a certain frequency into the water, then that could cause the water, I guess what you're saying is that that could cause the molecules of the water to vibrate in a certain frequency. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. I always imagine that the vibrational frequency of molecules is much, much higher than the frequency that we would be able to sense. Like, I always think it's it's faster than, say, the frequency of sound. I don't know. It would have to be. The frequency of molecular vibrations. Typical vibrational frequencies range from less than 10 to the 13 hertz to approximately 10 to the 14th hertz. Yeah, so that's crazy, crazy fast. If our emotions fall between 1 and 50 hertz, and we're changing something that vibrates 10 to the 13th, yeah, it's much too fast. Maybe there's a, a series of undertones or overtones like there is in music. Mm -hmm. Now we will take a break for some advertisements. Please support our sponsors. Your product goes here. Anything and everything good to say about your product, we'll say it right here, right now. And now, back to the show. I, I certainly know that frequencies of light have an effect on your emotions. You know, if you, they say that if you see the color yellow, it tends to make you more angry, or if you see the color pink, it tends to make you more calm and things like that. <laughs> that's, that's not true. You don't think Did you so? know that? No, it's not true. They used to put uh, what they called baker's pink in insane asylums because they believed it have a calming effect. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. It had to reverse the quite opposite effect. Yeah. So, like, the crazy people, even though they felt more in utero, they didn't feel calmer. Is that the... Right. <laughs> I guess. I, I don't know. They were angry so. at their Pink, mothers. Pink, That's Pink why they were insane calming. in the first place. Pink is not Don't calming. put me back in my mother's vagina. That doesn't calm me down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too big. I'll never get out. I don't know. That's something I read once. I think there's probably a lot of pseudoscience out there based on the different vibrations because I think that most of the problem with these different uh, studies of vibrations, frequencies, is that usually the scale by which you're measuring is not objective. It's subjective. Like, for example, volume and music, the decibel range, it's its incredibly subjective. And, and like if you try to measure nanometers of light frequency versus like auditory frequencies, they're on completely different scales. So they don't even compare to each other. But you can find something about vibrational analysis and they talk about um, metabolic rates when at rest versus metabolic rates when you're at a higher state and then they'll they'll have some little chart that has something like the frequency of shame is 20 but the frequency of enlightenment is 700 and you know it's like 
twenty to seven hundred relative to what? That's the piece that's always missing from these types of analysis. That's why I was trying to find a scientific study that might have some sort of output of frequency. Um, because I, I think you have to know what the scale is before you can really pay attention to any sort of uh, thing that talks about what vibration measures to what sort of feeling. I think you're absolutely right. I think there is a subjective effect of different colors on the human psyche, and I think there is definitely effect of, uh, of different colors of light, like UVA, UVB, you know, these sort of things. They tend to excite the molecules in certain ways, which tend to produce hormones in certain frequencies. And if you're you have the right diet, uh, the right vitamins in your body or in, at the right amounts and the right minerals in your body at the right amount and you're eating the right kind of food and all these things I think definitely affect your your vibration of your emotions and your general overall state and the state of what you might call your spirituality vibration, your spiritual frequency. I think all of these things affect us. And I, I think that they are measurable, the effects of different um, colors of light and different colors in a room. But I, I think it's subjective. I think it's subjective to the person because it's interdependent upon all these other uh, effects. You know, it's, it's, it's too complicated to try to say the color yellow makes people angry because it has everything to do with all of your memories of that color and the different associations that maybe you've made throughout your life. And, you know, there's a million different principles that could be reacting just as much as anything else. What are your thoughts on what I was just saying? Well, uh, energy is just energy, right? Like you, you mentioned ultraviolet A and B. It, I think it goes up to C, doesn't it? And, and past that, we, we have not the ability to measure. Uh, I think, what's the lowest one? Is it gamma? gamma or microwave and we don't measure anything past that it's the visible the visual spectrum which is the the light spectrum the color spectrum is it's just minute in in the middle of this big long range of frequency so and it's only how we perceive it and if you're colorblind you're not going to see it right anyway right yeah so you're you're right there's uh, ultraviolet a ultraviolet b ultraviolet c these are delineated based on wavelength. For example, ultraviolet A mm -hmm. has wavelengths of 315 to 400 nanometers. UVB, which is uh, mostly absorbed by the ozone layer, but some does get to Earth. That's the kind that gives you cancer. Its, it's, it's nanometers are between 280 and 315. And then UVC is usually completely absorbed by the ozone layer in the atmosphere. And that's 100 to 279 nanometers and nanometers are billionths of a meter so you know incredibly incredibly tiny and the production of vitamin d in the human body which is essential to health is dependent upon uh the amount of sunlight that you can absorb uh, and they try to map that to UVA, UVB radiation can both affect your health. UVA penetrates deeper into the skin and is more constant throughout the year. So maybe I had that wrong. Uh, uh, UV, it may be UVA that causes um, cancer. Well, see, that's just it. Like anything outside of the visual spectrum, the color spectrum, the human machine cannot pick up. So we have to have an, a special apparatus for that particular frequency. We just haven't developed one to pick up something outside 
what we've already currently mapped, right? Yeah, our senses are limited. You would need some kind of special device to measure UVB or measure the nanometers of these frequencies. They're way too small for, say, the human eye to see. But I think you do sense it. I mean, I absolutely feel when I'm in sunshine mm. that I am in sunshine. And it's not just the warmth of my skin. I feel like there is, because there's a type of feeling that, you, you know, you, you can have those little lamps that produce UVA, UVB type radiation. You can be in that light and it does have the effect on you. But to my sense, it's, it's, it's not exactly the same. It's not the same. So I, right. I think we are sensing it in a way. Um, we learned that we have five, maybe six different senses, but I think that that, like everything else, is on a spectrum and each of those senses has various different levels of sensation. But I think that there are many, 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 many other senses that we actually have. And some of us are more attuned to those than others. And those measure all kinds of things that we really don't know that we can measure or that we haven't put into some sort of simple explanation. And I, I think this goes along this, like a sense of vibration, you know, like we're saying from the, the Cabell Lions perspective, this vibrational frequency, you know, you, you hear people, they'll say when someone dies, they felt that that person is gone. Mm -hmm. And I think that has something to do with those vibrations that that person is putting out. You can sense that a person who is no longer alive, they're the same meat puppet that they always were, but they're not there anymore. Like their corporeal being is there, but they're not there anymore. And I think that has to do with this, uh, uh, something to do with these vibrations that we all put out. Maybe it is that mental vibration. Maybe that's where this principle of mental is all comes into play in these sort of hermetical principles or this idea of spirituality, I don't know. I feel like the principle of vibration is the most easily backed up by what we would call modern day science. And if Physics. the prince, yeah, if the principles of hermeticism are actually some kind of really old science that we kind of lost understanding of throughout time and kind of relearning that because within the last 10 years, anything spiritual was just laughed at. This is a material world. Fuck you. Get out of here with your spiritism and get you know go fuck yourself. It can't be quantified. It can't be measured. It ain't real. Are you saying from a, like a scientist perspective? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we've we've got things like the I think it's called the Heart Mind Institute. They measure this stuff. There's there's a few different organizations that that focus their attention on what we would call the spiritual aspects of humanity. Yeah, I, I, I think that the principle of vibration might be the hermetic principle that is most backed by science. I think we're talking about the principle of vibration from the perspective of force and energy. And we're talking about physics on the uh, perhaps non-quantum realm, uh, physics of the of the real, physics of the sensible things. But I, I think that when it comes to this idea of the higher planes, the uh, spiritual plane, these are the places where science, current 
physics is unable to measure. I mean, we're just starting to measure these things in the mind. And, you know, like that mm-hmm. one study that I pulled out was kind of talking about. But even that study, it's written in such a way that your average person, if they just read that paper, they wouldn't get a lot out of it. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't find a definition of valence, for example. But this idea of pure spirit, you know, the higher vibration, the higher vibrational planes of the spirit planes, uh, that's something that I don't think current physics can back up because we don't have anything that measures that. I mean, we have things that can measure molecular vibrations and i think molecular vibrations or like say the vibration of the speed of light which is something that is greatly theoretical it's a theoretical boundary is what it's it's meant to represent and we give it a number but we're not so much able to accurately measure that i mean in like say the great Haljan Collider, you can move things at 99.6% the speed of light, or, or maybe that number slightly higher. But it's sort of an asymptote on a graph. The closer you get to it, the farther away you are. You can't actually get to it, which is why we say that that's a theoretical speed limit of the universe. But are we talking about you know, is the speed of the vibration of the spirit or the speed of the vibration of the soul or the speed of the vibration of the energy of God faster than the speed of light? And if so, how could we ever measure it? I think, I think light's just another barrier, like sound. You know, we, we broke the sound barrier. We'll, we'll eventually break the light barrier. And, what, and I think thought probably moves faster than light, right? I don't, no, no, it definitely doesn't. Um, they've measured that many times and no. uh, like the speed of our, uh, of our neural synapses is quite slow. It's as slow as like 13 milliseconds. Well, the, the thought doesn't exist in our brains. It just is picked up by our brain. Oh, well, okay, okay, so yeah, so we must define what we're talking about. So if we're talking about this mental speed from the perspective of the Kabillion, uh, the Kabbalion, or the Kabbalion, uh, the Kibble Lion, the Lion's Kibble, if we're speaking of the perspective of the Lion's Kibble, then the speed of thought is at a higher vibration than, say, the speed of light, which is an energy that we can measure with uh, modern physics, or at least come close to measuring. And then we'd have to create some sort of mental telepathy machine that would measure the speed of the spirits. And I don't know, I, I, you know, this idea that light is a barrier that we might someday be able to cross will throw out the current theories of physics, which... Einstein tried to explain with his theory of relativity, which was basically he was saying it's all relative time and space, speed, power, distance. It's all relative to the observer. And as you move away from something, when you observe it, it slows down or it moves through time slower or the amount of energy it puts off is different. You know, and so like from the perspective of that, you can't ever really go faster than the speed of light because it's a constant which breaks down all of the fundamental formulas that we use to measure our universe. So yes, maybe one day we will break that barrier, but if we do, we have to rewrite 
or add to all these different theories of reality and re-explain things. Because basically, our principles of physics now currently state that that is as fast as things are. Because the fastest thing we've ever observed is light. I think we're getting off track here, but anyway, uh, like I was saying, uh, we, we probably should take a break. Now we will take a break for some advertisements. Please support our sponsors. We ain't got no sponsors. We talking about this whole damn podcast is brought to you by me because I'm the fucking sponsor here. And now back to the show. We can try to explain these things with uh, probabilities where we say, like, the electron is in two places at once, which is the only example of probability that we have that is something moving faster than the speed of light, right? Like, if something is in two places at once, then maybe it's going faster than the speed of light. Or maybe your tool that you're measuring it with just isn't accurate enough to measure that difference. But when we get to quantum physics, we're really talking about probabilities versus realities or uh, things that you're actually measuring. We're talking about, is it mathematically possible? And, and there are examples of that. Like they've literally teleported electrons and measured that teleportation, or at least seen things that appear to be that, things that appear to move faster than the speed of light. But it's not quantifiable because it's a theoretical concept. It's where all these things break down when you get to science. You know, if you say, well, what is the God effect on the solidity of matter? If God decides that the table sitting in front of you is not solid, can God make that table gas? Can you use your mind to change the state of matter of the table in front of you to make it gas? And if so, how could you measure that? And if you believe that that's true, then how can you believe that any matter is in a, a state of solid? And, you know, really it's not. It's our observation of the thing. It's like what you were saying before. The vibration of the spirit is so fast it appears to be, it appears to not be moving. That's why the desk in front of you appears to be solid, because it's moving so fast you can't see it move so it appears to be solid and so the state of gas is even faster than that you might think of steam boiling over a pot when you think of gas and you might think that you're seeing something in the state of gas and and the water vapor moving through the air or like the smoke or you know any kind of vapor that's emitting from some sort of stack you might see that and think that you're seeing something in the state of gas but that is really just a theoretical concept it's not the state of gas is really much faster than you could ever possibly see. You know, the molecules are moving so fast you can never see them because your eyes work much slower. But if we are thinking about this idea of mentality is faster than the speed of light, the speed at which we think, the thoughts come from some other place in the universe other than our corporeal body and our perception of thought is just our body very slowly reacting to that thought being injected to our mind from somewhere else. I don't know where that somewhere else is. Maybe it's a higher plane like what you're talking about. But if that is the reality, then how could we ever measure it? Because we could, we can't even, this is an idea of faith. Like how can you measure someone's faith? Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? 
I mean, am I touching the stone of what you're, the point you were making? I, yeah, you're 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 going along there, but I, I do think like break uh, this down for me. So the thoughts come from outside of our head. Do, do you know who Bob Proctor is Bob Bob Proctor and the the Proctor Gamble Institute? Tell me more about Bob Proctor. Okay, so he talks about these kind of he ha, he call, he refers to them as the eleven laws, uh, universal laws, I guess, but. They are the seven hermetic principles and a couple extra. Actually, the, the extra ones seem to overlap. Okay. But he talks about the law of vibration a lot, uh, you know, being an aspect of uh, the law of attraction and okay. manifestation because that's kind of what he used. He gets all this information from, like, uh, Neville Goddard, uh, Napoleon Hill. All this spiritualism stuff was huge in in the early what a 19th century i'd say 1850 to about 1950 because that's where a lot of this stuff died out the 50s for some reason you never hear the word ether anymore after after the 50s just don't use that do you know you don't give these people anything that will give them a leg up and they won't be controllable if well, I mean, I, I, I disagree with that with the principle of ether. The principle of ether, it was this concept. It was sort of like the four humors in medicine. You know, we had these different humors, but blood, bile, phlegm. And, and, you know, originally the theory of medicine was like, if your humors are out of whack, if you have too much phlegm, then you have a phlegmatic personality or it'll make you sick or whatever. And and these were ideas of a way to try to explain different symptoms. And, and they were lauded in science for a while, but then we made the discovery of bacteria and we made the discovery of viruses and we made the discovery of hemoglobin and we made the discovery of type, blood types. And, and so the ideas of the humors went out the window because we decided, oh, these are the different things that are, it's really viruses that, and bacteria that make people sick and mold. It's not that they're humors and it's not we need to let blood to fix the problem anymore. And similarly with the idea of the ether, there was this concept of this sort of like cosmic soup in which all of the cosmos and all the things floated. And then they discovered molecules and they discovered subatomic particles and they discovered like the speed of light and relativity and they decided oh this concept of the ether it was just like a bucket to throw all these different things that we didn't have a word for into and so it was demoted in the scientific books of the of physics for the ideas of different states of energy, matter and antimatter, etc. So it still exists in a form. It just has a different name to it. There's still a heuristic bucket in which people put the unknown, um, but they don't call it the ether anymore because the definition of what the ether was was too simplistic, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, but it doesn't make the concept erroneous because it's too simplistic i mean look if you okay let, let me let me see if i can illustrate this it's going to be a poor illustration this is no initiation into hermetics by okay uh, franz barden okay franz barden this is published in like 1956 franz barden survived Auschwitz using magic so he printed this book okay. and i think he's printed i think there's three books 
in this particular series. Now, in here, he talks about the elements, right? And one of those elements is, of course, the ether. Now, ether being the stuff that holds together all the other elements, right? In magic, you have earth, air, fire, water, and spirit. Well, that's also the ether. The spirit is also ether. Now, in our modern thinking, fire is just a flame and water is wet and you know whatever and earth is dirt and but that's not what these represent at all these are very complicated principles like quantum physics level complicated well yeah because the whole theory of like how electromagnetism and gravitation all worked was mm -hmm. part of the ether theory of physics mm -hmm. in the in the like Newton days. Fire represents the electric uh, field. So like Isaac Newton in the 1700s suggested in his optics book, this sort of ethereal medium, which is the passing out of water, glass, crystal, and other compact and dense bodies and empty spaces grow denser and denser by degrees. So this sort of idea of different states of matter and different vibrational molecular vibrations even before you know, the concepts of molecules were discovered, were all theorized by Isaac Newton, which is why he's still lauded today. And then, like, Maxwell came around in the 1800s, and he talked about the luminiferous ether or the light-bearing ether, and he started the concepts of the original ideas of that light itself is also an electromagnetic wave similar to electricity, but that light used different frequencies. And then later on, Lorenz and Fitzgerald, you know, came along and they had the Lorenz theory, uh, ether theory, and they talked about how uh, you could... You know that, that, that he was an alchemist. Lorenz? No. Uh... Maxwell? Newton. The first guy. Newton. Yeah, he would definitely be considered an alchemist. Yeah, he was, a, yeah, Newton was an alchemist. I think in the 1700s, these concepts of alchemy, they were sort of like the only way you could tie science and spirituality. And any of these folks that were a student of physics or a scientist, you were trying to match these different concepts of like faith and observation. I think that's what these principles of Hermeticisms have always been trying to do, no matter what culture you're in. If you're in ancient Greece or ancient Egypt or right. wherever you are, where they have these principles, because as we talked about last time or the first episode, there's throughout all the different cultures, there's always been these same kind of principles, which I think are, it's really an attempt to tie the spiritual or the supernatural to the physical and the observable universe. I think that's what these theories are trying to do. But as, yeah. you know, as time went on and these different physicists came up with more, uh, more specific theories, uh, the idea of the ether sort of falls apart. It really falls apart, I think, with Einstein's special theory of relativity. Because he could explain in his experimental results some mathematical equation that didn't have to refer to this ether. But he still uses the cosmic constant. I mean, I would say that's what ether turned into, this sort of cosmic constant in Albert Einstein's yeah. theories. In the speed of light, is a constant that he adds because there's mathematical error that he needs to solve for. So he adds this constant. Mm -hmm.
And so I think that's what the ether becomes after 1905. But you were saying, I'm not trying to throw out your idea and say that you're wrong. I agree with you. It's just the concept of the ether has changed throughout time. It appears to be the yeah. same information throughout time, just called a different thing. And the name is irrelevant because it's the information is sound and reproducible. But what does this guy refer to? A fire represents like electric energy. Water represents emotional energy. Mm-hmm. Earth is the cohesion energy that like stuff that causes these other things to solidify. Air is represents the mental energy. It's basically electromagnetism exists because fire and water exist together at the same time. So you've got electromagnet because something about the water is the emotional energy is magnetic so it draws that particular energy to itself like i said it's very complex and i'm not very far through this book because it's very heady but it's very interesting what's the name of the book again and the author's name again initiation into hermetics by franz barton okay would you recommend that to your listeners oh yeah totally i I would i would also recommend uh the secret teachings of all ages by manly p hall which you could you can just type that into YouTube if you're interested. Yeah, like an audio version of the initiation into hermetics is kind of hard to find. I've only found one, and it wasn't really that great. It was just some guy reading a book on it. But these principles and concepts of magic appear to be simplified. In the book? No, no, the, no just in reality. Just a simple, a real simple name for a very complicated thing, like fire being electric magnetism. Because everything that contains light in any form has the element of fire in it because fire apparently is light. So do you think that these principles apply in our modern world where we have these other ideas in physics? Do they still apply or are they? They still apply because that's exactly what it's talking about is is, is physics and, and quantum physics, really. How did he use magic? You said he used magic I reached a point in this book where I got really confused. Mm -hmm. Like, what is this trying to say? And I was like, I'm going to put this down for for today. And I put it down. And later that day, I was listening to a talk show where the guy was explaining what I had just read through the science of quantum physics. And I was like, oh, well, that makes much more sense this way. You know what I mean? Than it did. Mm -hmm. So it's all connected somehow. I guess, are we looking for the connection? Are we looking to understand what we know? Or are we looking to understand that connection? Well, yeah, I mean, it's sort of a chicken and egg problem, right? Like if all of the wisdom of the universe is within the mental, right, and that mental is something that we have access to if we just learn how to tap into it, it's like, the idea of Plato or Socrates, the sort of concept of the all mind, the good, the the ever knowing, you know, some say the word that was adjusted to become the word God, this original idea that all of the wisdom of the universe is for us to behold if we can just access it. I mean, I think that's what these ideas of the hermetic principles are trying to present to us. This is a way of categorizing all these things in bite-sized pieces so that people can start to absorb them, start to understand them. Now we will take a break for some advertisements. Please support our sponsors. We're gonna gonna try to get through without fucking up. I wish I was better at this. God. 
I'm sorry, Mama. <laughs> sorry. And now, back to the show. You know, I, I struggle with this concept of the vibration of the spiritual plane being a higher vibration than the vibrations of energy that we're able to currently witness. And I know there is sort of this infinite scale, even in like our principles of quantum physics, and it's constantly expanding. We imagine that the smaller you go, maybe the higher the vibration of these things that you find, or the farther you go from Earth, the slower these things can become. And I, I don't think these are things that we can truly measure. I mean, can something be more solid than solid or, or, or can the vibration of something be slower than anything that we've witnessed within the temperatures that we've witnessed them at? You know, we have a limited understanding of how cold things can be. Is there a point in space where there's a different form of matter that's more solid than solid. We certainly found things that are more energetic than gas, you know, like for example, a plasma. There's like super plasmas that we've generated in like fusion reactors and things like that. We've Apparently water has a plasmic state as well. Well, you know, plasma is like a description of vibrational frequency is really mm -hmm. what it is it's it's a like a descriptor it's used in so many different ways it's one of those words in english that's hard to understand because it can mean a lot of different things but on the level of like physics that we're talking about it's really just a description of a vibrational state of matter like solid is a certain vibrational state and uh, it has certain different reactive principles to it anything that's hot enough to be a plasma or energetic enough to be a plasma can melt like anything that we know of because it takes so much energy to create a plasma we try to theorize things like how could we go faster than the speed of light how could we generate a stable wormhole and that's what we're talking about something would have to be more energetic than a plasma is more energy required than we could ever possibly create with the current technology that we've ever even dreamed of having because it takes such a high amount of energy to warp space and time in that manner. But when we talk about plasmas, we're talking about things that are like the hottest thing you can imagine, like the temperature of our own sun, um, of our own home star. But I don't know, like, like that breaks down for me because when I think about the spiritual plane, I don't think of it as something that would be infinitely hot. But maybe, maybe it has something to do with these concepts of like hell. Hell has this concept of being this infinitely hot, torturous place. Where did that idea come from? Is that because like this sort of idea that it exists on a spiritual plane where there's such a high temperature or a high vibration that it could create that kind of heat. I mean, I don't know if hell is the lowest plane of the spiritual realm. I don't believe in the concept of hell. I think it's more of like a morality tale to, to train children not to steal candy. But it's interesting that heat has an element in the concept of hell, if hell is supposed to be the lowest of the spiritual planes and all these spiritual planes are supposed to be at this high vibration and all the things that we've witnessed that are at the highest vibrations we know of are infinitely hot. I think because the word perish means to 
combust and burn from within. And I think that's why hell is hot because of that. Ah, okay. Well, I mean, I could be wrong on principle here. Not all things that vibrate fast are necessarily hot. Maybe it's my uh, my basic theory that's that's broken in this concept of like the higher vibration of the spiritual planes. Maybe they don't have to be hot in our idea of what heat energy is. Things can be energetic without necessarily putting off heat. But I just, maybe it's because it's just so unimaginable to me. I, I just have a hard time with the idea of the spirit being a faster vibration than say like the speed of light. But that would explain why these things are immeasurable, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know though, you have guys that are running around like, what do you think about like ghost hunters who have uh, these little e-meters and they're supposedly measuring the vibe, energetic vibrations of a ghost or a spirit. Do you think there's anything to that? What are those e-meters supposed to be measuring? Did you ever dabble in that sort of thing? No, I, not to that extreme. I never had like one of those meters or something. And I, I don't really know what they're supposed to uh, detect anyway. Uh, seems that ghosts always uh, appear to be cold to me. I, I don't know what that's about. Cold from the perspective of like, they make the environment cold to the touch, like when a ghost is around. Yeah, you know, like temperature always seems to drop when there's a ghost around. There's somebody that uh, had a had. Well, I forgot what the name of that group was. They came to their house and set up equipment and recorded all kinds of stuff. There was like an yeah. army marching his house and stuff like. I want to say civil war, but it may have been revolutionary war. Soldiers just. Like filmed them walking around and stuff, or or some shit. I don't know. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, I guess those EMF meters are just supposed to be measuring electromagnetic frequency. That's all they're supposed to be measuring, which would make sense based on the ideas of the principles of hermeticism, where uh, there's a different vibrational frequency to a different spiritual plane. But my guess is that these EMF meter things are just measuring electromagnetics in the frequency ranges that we currently can observe, which is slower than the speed of light and would not fall on this scale of the idea that the spiritual plane is at a higher vibration. These will be much slower, I would think. Mm -hmm. But then again, you have that sort of principle of undertones and overtones. Maybe there are resonance lower an octave above a note is double that note frequency, maybe, and there are sub-octaves which occur at half the uh, frequency, so maybe there are undertones or sub-octaves of these electromagnetic frequency vibrations that the spirits are working in. I don't know. I just wondered if uh, that made any sense to you. What, any other thoughts on this uh, spiritual plane and the vibration or just the concept no, no, you're, you're fine. i'm just glad there's somebody here talking to me and i'm not talking to myself like normal <laughs> <laughs> well i kind of feel like we've discussed the principle of vibration fairly well yeah i think we've beat this dead horse so i guess we'll wrap it up we will continue this breakdown of the seven hermetic principles one at a time because uh, it seems to be the best way to do that. I enjoyed having you. Uh, thank you for being here with us today, Mr. Buck Johnson. Yeah, thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to thank you once again for joining us here at the Blind Alchemy Podcast. Hopefully uh, this has been informative, maybe mildly entertaining. Uh, vibrate high, do good things. 
I'm your host, your guest on the quest as we float through the sea of frequency that we call reality. Love you, ladies and gentlemen. Please hit us up on every social platform you can find. Be safe out there. Come back and talk to me, all right? Talk to you soon. We would love to receive your feedback and your questions for advice. Please email us or send us a voicemail. Our address is theblindalchemypodcast at gmail.com. Find, like, review, subscribe, and contact us on Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, Twitter, and YouTube at The Blind Alchemy Podcast. All one word. Please subscribe to this podcast on your podcast player. We are available on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Anchor.fm slash The Blind Alchemy Podcast. Please tell all your friends, enemies, and any strangers to listen to our podcast. This will help us bring joy to everyone. Text-to-speech services were provided by freetts.com and readloud.net. We would like to extend a special thank you to the, the world's greatest musicians, sound designers, and engineers at Hairline Productions for their help with the composition, performance, editing, production, and recording of both the original music and today's show. Please like their content on SoundCloud.